computer science is the study of human brain and its ability to create realities. Uh, this mental construction within our minds, you know, based on the data that we get, uh, sometimes it could be uh, ambiguous data, sometimes it could be faulty, but still, based on the data, we create these mental pictures and then we process the outside world. Say, for example, if there is a mosquito that sits on you, immediately the first response, without even thinking, we kind of, you know, we give a tap. Now, how is this is happening? Like, immediately the brain responds, we have done it in the past, there was a bug, there was a bug like mosquito, and I give a, gave a tap and I was able to take care of the problem. So this happens in our unconscious brain. Now, this is how we process and respond to everyday realities of life, what the scientist calls the remembered present. It's the memory of the past, but the term they use is the remembered present. And this is a largely unconscious thing. Now, if my watch doesn't turn on, the first thing I do is give a tap. How is that happening? Now, this is farther from reality. My tapping the watch is not going to fix the problem. But again, it's based on my past reality, past experience. When in the past, when this happened, I gave a tap and that fixed the problem. So today, my smart watch like, just needs recharging, but still I give a tap just to make sure nothing else is you know, going on there. Sometimes I wonder, that's how we process our Christian faith as well. Now, this is not something new. Philosophers have talked about it. They say the mind only sees what the heart wants to see. That's why they say love is blind. When your heart is full of love, this warm, fuzzy feeling, we are blind to people's, um, not failures, but flaws. But over a period of time, we discover, oh, I didn't see that. Maybe I saw, but I didn't realize. Now, when we read our Bible and scriptures, we, now we know as Christians, as believers, we base our life based on this book. This is the core of life. We know it, we read it, we have read it plenty of times, we have heard it plenty of times. We grew up reading this. But then I wonder if we create our own mental images, mental realities, which can be farther from the truth as suggested by the gospel. I look at my own life and then see, is my life conforming to the gospel? Or is it just my mental realities that I have created based on my experiences? That's the way I want to read. That's the way I want to understand and interpret the scripture. David F. Well wrote a book recently, God in the Wasteland. It's a kind of a stunning rebuke of, of churches in, in the modern culture. And this is what he says, the fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is not inadequate technique or insufficient organization or antiquated music and those who want to squander the church resources bandaging these scratches will do nothing to stop the flow of blood that is spilling from its true wounds. And he says this, the fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequently upon the church. Inconsequent. He's just there. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel is too easy, and his Christ is too common. It's beautiful. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel is too easy, and his Christ is too common. I just added a couple more lines to it. The church is too glamorous, too political, too liberal, too opulent, and too staged. The teachings are too superficial, too lighthearted, too watered down and too soft. And the Christian is too ordinary, too worldly, too weak, and too irrelevant. Now, one of the blessings of reading God's word is that it strikes where it hurts so that it can build us up. It exposes all the putrefied junk in our lives. 
that masquerade as truth. A passage like this brings us to God's examination table and lays us bare. If you turn with me to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. I want to draw your attention to four key ideas here in this passage. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. And this is what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, speak to us this morning as we open your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to minister to us according to our needs, dear Lord. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see. Give us ears, Lord, to hear your truths, O oh Father, your still small voice quickening us, O oh Father, and the heart to understand, to believe, O oh Father, and to obey. Be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, James is writing to the believers in the church, those who were called out out of darkness, who have repented, who have been saved, who have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Their old life is gone. They have been called to walk in the newness of the spirit. But the problem is the old sinful nature is still within us. The old man is there and alive. And it's waging an all-out war with the new nature that wants to be more and more like Christ. So the first idea I want to focus on is there is war within us. War with our passions. This war with the flesh, this is a real thing. This never stops. This is relentless. Morning or evening, every day of our life, there is war happening within us. The old man warring with the new man. The old sinful nature fighting against the new nature. Sometimes I feel this like trying to keep your house clean. It never stops. There is dust and I don't know where it comes. Whether you do, whether you live in the house or not, or go on a vacation, it's there. You have a couple, couple boys to the list, you know what happens. You have pets in the house, the game is over. You don't even know where to begin. It never stops. It's relentless. That's how the enemy's attack is. It's everywhere, all around us. We are called to swim against the currents of this world, the sinful patterns of this world, and the enemy is shooting missiles at us at every turn. He's there, trying to trip us, trying to you know, hurt us, stumble us. You duck and dodge, get scraped, bruised, sometimes get beaten down, thrown off balance. It's a Christian reality. But we don't drift. We don't drift because we're not dead in the spirit. The new life that God has given us gives us the desire to fight. The spirit gives us the strength to keep going, to fight our battles on our knees. The Holy Spirit empowers us to see victories over our lives. The question is, are we actively fighting our fight, the good fight that he has given us? Every choice you make, every decision of yours in life, 
is part of this battle. Whether we help our inner man to win this battle or we feed our flesh, that's going to eventually drown us. Either we are feeding our flesh or we are resisting evil. Either we are corrupting our mind or we are being renewed in our mind. That's the choice we have, every, every decision, every choice that we take. Either we are swimming up the river against the currents or we are drifting and we don't even know sometimes. And if this struggle is not real, if you don't feel the struggle in your life as a believer, as a Christian, chances are that you are already defeated. You're already drifting and you don't even know it. There is war, war within our passions. Now this war can either be controlled by your passions, sorry, we can either be controlled by your passions or be passionate about God and holiness and godliness. Now the word worldliness doesn't always translate as sinful behavior. Of course it is part of it, but not all of it. It also means the patterns, the the values, the world gives us a template as to how life has to be lived. What is success? What is fame? What is glory? Those are the patterns of this world. And we are conditioned to believe because that's what we see. And we are called to serve. We are called with this holy calling, heavenly calling. We are called to live self-sacrificially. But I see myself living selfishly, selfish with my time. The focus is on my comfort, it's my health, my family, my happiness, my needs. The fact is, it is not about us. It is not about my happiness, my joy, or my well-being. It is about the glory of God and the kingdom of Christ. I think with my feelings and decide with my emotions. Again, the war with the passions. I think with my feelings and decide with my emotions. I do it if, I, if it feels good. Or if I, I don't do it if, I, if it doesn't feel good to me. I'm not in the mood for this. My emotions get the better of me. Is gospel still the best news you have ever heard? Is finding Jesus the best thing that has ever happened to you? His truth and commands the delights of your soul. We just heard a beautiful prayer from Psalm. Your commands, I delight in you. Teach me your commands, I delight to do it. I meditate on it. Is that our reality? Can we say like David in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will. Not based on my feelings and emotions, not feels good or how it feels good, but based on your will. Are you passionate about Christ? Is Christ your supreme passion? Doing everything for the glory of Christ, even the simplest of things, is Christ the motivation? His love, his purposes, his kingdom, his will, is that what drives your will, your actions, your decisions? It is war. Entertainment, that's a big, kind of a slippery slope, isn't it? We are a generation that seeks to be endlessly entertained. Everything has to be entertaining. Everybody has to be entertaining. We don't want a dull moment. We don't want a serious moment. We don't have time to sit and reflect and, and ponder over things. Always seek to be entertained. My classroom has to be entertaining. My lectures has to be entertaining. The church has to be entertaining. It never stops. Now besides stealing our time, 
Entertainment can also make us physically and intellectually lazy. It makes us very shallow. Somebody said, you know, very flippantly, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. He said, never argue with someone whose TV is much bigger than their bookshelf. <laughs> it looks so harmless. It is just a show. It is just a program. It's just a game. But what is Christian about how we entertain ourselves? Does our entertainment, whatever that is, make us holy, drag us, or, or, or does it drag us deeply into our fleshly struggles? Do they help you reflect more on the goodness and mercy and love of Christ? Or is it feeding the fleshly appetites? If we fill our minds with the filth of this world, how do we expect victory over our flesh? in our ministry, if we laugh and amuse ourselves with the foolishness of this world, how can we expect revival in our families, in our churches? We will only open the, the door for the enemy to attack. Us and our children and our families and the weak ones. A lot of times Christians confuse Renewal of mind with refreshing and relaxing your mind. They're not the same. Renewal of mind is intentional. It goes against the flesh. It is a process where one is drawn closer to God. His glorious attributes, his eternal truth by careful meditation of his word and spending time in his presence. There is no fun involved in that process. We just want relaxation, not renewal of mind. Let's not forget we are in a fight. The enemy is within us. We are at war with our passions. Now, St. Francis of Assisi, um, one of the early Christian monks, he calls his body, his physical body, this is what he used, the term that he uses is very interesting. He uses uh, the term brother ass. That's the term he uses, he calls it a donkey, literally calls it a donkey. Brother Ass, and C.S. Lewis, Lewis talks about this, and he expounds when he says this, Ass is exquisitely right because no one in his senses can either revere or hate a donkey. It is a useful, sturdy, lazy, obstinate, patient, lovable, and infuriating beast, deserving now a stick and now a carrot both pathetically and absurdly beautiful, and so is the body. And that's why St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says, I discipline my body. I don't give in to its passions. I don't listen to my feelings and emotions. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Kind of, kind of a word that makes me shudder. Discipline your body and keep it under control. We need to rise above beyond our feelings and emotions. Let us make war with our flesh and fight the good fight. The second one I want to draw our attention to this morning is verse 4. Verse 4 in the passage we read, live as an enemy of the world. This is what James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world is enmity with, the God, with God. So live as enemy of the world. You adulterous people. Harsh language. It is, it is spiritual adultery. If we go after this world and worldly pleasures, we who are called, who have experienced, who have tasted God's love in our lives. If God is not our priority, then it is a kind of a spiritual adultery. You cannot have it both. You cannot have God and the world. God's ways and the world's ways are completely different. But most of our struggle 
is because we try to accommodate these two paths. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Despise the other. The term friendship with the world. It refers to the lifestyle that conforms to the worldly order. The insatiable thirst for money, for power, for comforts, for pleasures, style, success, happiness, whatever it is. The world gives you a template for happiness and success, and everyone is chasing, everyone around us is chasing after these, playing by the rules that are given by the world. And we tend to follow them. We admire those who make it. Paul Washer says this, why would we want fame when God has promised us glory? Why would we be seeking the wealth of the world when the wealth of heaven is ours? Why would we be chasing after the fleeting pleasures of this world when there is fullness of joy in his presence and pleasures forevermore at his right hand? We are, seeking, we are seeking things in the wrong places, seeking wrong things in the wrong places, just like the world. The way of the cross runs diametrically opposed to this. Its path is paved by mercy, by grace, by love, by holiness, marked with humility, piety, godliness, purity. The standards are set by Christ himself. He has set the benchmark. He has given us the rules. The playbook has been given by him. You and I don't get to define it. We just simply trust and obey. That's what we are called, just to trust and obey. Holiness is having the same mind like Christ, hating what he hates, loving what he loves. We refuse the standards of this world. We measure everything in the light of his word. His truth, his unchanging truth. J.C. Royal has a book called Holiness, one of the best books I've read on this topic. And this is what he says. It's kind of challenged me a lot as I was even preparing this. This is what he says. Please follow. A man who is born again is careful of his own soul. He tries not only to avoid sin, but also to avoid everything which may lead to it. He is careful about the company he keeps. He knows that bad company corrupts good morals and that evil is more contagious than good, just as disease is more infectious than health. He is careful about the use of his time. His chief desire is to spend it profitable. And then he says this, he desires to live like a soldier in an enemy country, to wear his armor continually and be prepared for temptation. He is diligent to be watchful, humble, and prayerful man. Live like a soldier in an enemy country. Imagine yourself waking up tomorrow morning in North Korea. Again, nothing against North Korea, but it's, it is what it is. Just imagine waking up in an enemy, enemy country. What is your first response? What is the objective in life or for that day? What is the goal for that day? How can I get out of here without being caught? We won't be going on TripAdvisor and then trying to check out the places to visit in North Korea, some sightseeing, visiting the biggest mall in town. Again, they're all good. But that's not the priority. The priority is to find a way out of here without being caught. That's what he says. This is not the world. This is an enemy country. The enemy is out to get us. Live like a soldier, wearing his armor, God-given armor, and be prepared for temptation at every corner. Be diligent to be watchful, humble, and prayerful man, because prayer brings victory. Shouldn't we have the same attitude to our life in this world? The enemy is a roaring lion, much worse 
then you can think of the roaring lion. But very often we find ourselves cozying up with the world, trying to strike a deal, trying to shake hands with the world, worldly patterns. The danger is that a lot of times, Christians including me, we have created an alternate reality. One that is against the word of truth. We are called to live a holy life, set apart for him. But we are trying to live our life, accommodate, adjust our lives to fit our worldly patterns, our desires, sinful passions, make excuses, justify a little bit here and there. We bend our theology, twist our understanding and interpretation, justifying our lifestyle. We cannot hide behind our crooked minds. Jeff Brown is what he says, beautifully put it. He says this, it is not the darkness that scares me. It's the darkness hiding behind the light. It is the shadow camouflage as transparency. It is the manipulations hiding behind the smiley-faced emoji. It is the ambition feigning as altruism. It is not the darkness that scares me, but it is the lie. We as believers are called to be watchful. We are called to see through the lies, see through the lies of the enemy. Sometimes the lie that we tell ourselves these lies, these mental constructions, these justifications, it will only drag us down, drag us deep into the pit of destruction. Let's live like an enemy of this world. Friend of sinners, don't get me wrong, we love the people. Jesus is a friend of sinners. But the patterns of this world, we are an enemy. It's war. Number three, we find in verse seven, uh, true disciples surrender us all. Verse 7, this is what James says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. He sets the standard. Not me, not you, not the world, not your favorite person. Total surrender is what Christ expects from us. Now what does that look like? What does total surrender look like? Every aspect of your life, every aspect of your life, how we spend our time, our talent, our energy, our money, everything about me is lived according to the truth of the gospel. Every choice you make in this life is according to his holy will. Every thought is brought under captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, just imagine that. Every thought is brought under captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every moment of your life is lived with an awareness of God. God's presence in you and around you. Total surrender. Galatians 5.24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's the power of the Holy Spirit with the power of the Holy Spirit, we nail them to the cross, our passions and desires, the will that wars against us. The old sinful passions, they are done away with. We are a new man, new creation. Total surrender. Now surrendering to God is not an option. It is not just a good advice. It is not a suggestion that the Bible gives on maybe, maybe just try this out. Your world, your life might improve, no. This is what God demands from a believer, from his children, that we surrender to him completely. Mark 8, 34, Jesus says this. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, anyone, if you desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Say no. That's the hardest thing to say. 
say no. Sometimes no to yourself. No to your sinful passions, your feelings and emotions. They should not dictate your, the course of your life. You do not seek after the comforts of this world. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Be as submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal that's crucified on the cross. There is no choice there. Our only choice is to obey him for our own good. Deny yourself and carry the cross for future delight. Because the world wants to be entertained now. The fun is happening right now. But for a Christian, we don't live for the now. We don't live for the present. We live for the future. That's where the fun begins. That's where the real life begins, the life with God. You are a new self. Act like it. Deny the old, the comfort-craving self, and embrace the superior joy of knowing Christ. Now, why is it so difficult to die to self? It's a struggle, believe me. Like, I struggle with this. We all struggle. Why is it so difficult? Because the patterns of this world, it's the culture that we live in that's grooming us, that is conditioning us, is giving us alternate messages, is giving us alternate realities. There is one that is opposed to the truth of the gospel. Self-care, self-love, self-healing. Listen to your heart. Be true to yourself. Trust in your gut. Do what makes you happy. Be kind to yourself. That's the messaging of the world. Sounds wonderful. I was kind of thinking, what would Paul say to these statements? We know how Paul lived, St. Paul in the New Testament. One who talks about crucifying himself, disciplining his body. How would he respond to these statements, to these catchphrases? Self-care, self-love, self-healing, listen to your heart. I found an interesting poem that kind of brought a chuckle to me. And this is how it says, it says, sorry to myself. Sorry to myself, I'm apologizing to myself. To whom do I owe the biggest apology? No one has been crueler than I've been to me, and I am sorry to myself. My apologies begin here before everybody else. I am sorry to myself. For treating me worse than I would anybody else, I am sorry to myself. That's the message of the world. Might have some sense, but the way of the cross is different. Is radical. It asks us to crucify yourself. Christianity teaches to die to yourself, your passions, your desires. It's brother ass that doesn't refuse, you know, to my to my will, the will to desire God. Now, it's not something that we all. I mean, we, we all face uh, face this or struggle with this. Like, I'm not an early riser. I don't, I, I try to sleep. I, I, I like to sleep in. Uh, sometimes, you know, when, when there is work to do, like I set my alarm, maybe 7 o'clock. Not too early, because I know I won't be able to do it. But even 7 is a stretch for me. I set my alarm at 7, but wake up at 9. It's a struggle. It's the flesh. The self resists. It resists. It wants my space. It wants, no, I talk about my rights. The self wants to be appreciated. It wants to be recognized, wants to be respected, wants to be pampered, wants to be glorified. That's what the self demands. Nobody likes advice. Nobody likes to be advised. The young, the old, 
Nobody. Nobody likes to be advised. Why is that? We welcome suggestions. But advice, no. It is my life. Let me make my own mistakes. You know what David prays? It's a beautiful prayer. In Psalm 141, verse 5, David prays this, Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be as oil upon the head. Let not my head refuse it. For even in their wickedness shall my prayer continue. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Try that. We don't even have the word rebuke in our Christian church vocabulary. We don't like anybody rebuking us. We don't like anybody advising us. Forget about rebuking. Parents cannot give godly counsel to their kids. Kids cannot advise their parents. Husbands cannot lead. Wives cannot obey. We are walking on eggshells all the time. We don't want to hurt anybody's ego. How do we even begin to understand this principle of dying to self in order to be like Christ? Submitting oneself. It goes against everything that is being bombarded at us. Some of us, we need to start praying this prayer. Lord, we need godly people in our lives. I need godly person in my life, speaking and correcting, sometimes even rebuking me. Now, why do we need to die to ourselves? Because the self is a monster. It is prone to wander, adulterous heart, always going astray in our hearts. Even those of us who know the gospel, even those of us who know Christ, we have to be watchful because the old man is warring against the new. We cannot slack. We are called to walk in the newness, the renewed mind. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. It's not given, it's a fight. It's we are, we are waging war. If you are struggling with a sinful habit, sinful addictions that more often than not get the better of you, surrender yourself completely. Fall into the mighty hands of God. He alone is our deliverer. He alone has the power to deliver us. There are no methods and principles and good tips that's going to help us. It's the power of the cross, the resurrected power of the cross that can deliver us. Surrendering oneself is not an option. That's the way to live a Christian life. Because sin is alluring, it is appealing. It is sensually appealing. It has this feel-good effect to it. It is packaged well, it is messaging as well. It is marketed well. It is all around us. It's easily accessible. It's so easy to fall. Or else Adam and Eve would have resisted. Richard Sibbs, in a 17th century period, and this is what he says, Satan gives away an apple, assuming it was an apple. Satan gives away an apple, but takes away the paradise. Adam and, Lee and Eve were driven out of the garden. They got the fruit, they got the apple, but lost the garden. Therefore, he says, in all temptations, consider what not the devil offers, but what we shall lose. What we shall lose. A momentary thrill steals away our eternal salvation. A little compromise here and there but sometimes you may have to pay dearly. A new man is a sanctified man with new God-given goals and purposes in life. We also lose ourselves in order to save it. That's the only way to get stuff as a Christian in order to lose. That's one of the contradictions, the, paradox, the Christian paradoxes that you'll see. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. 
Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Seek ye first the Lord and all these things shall be added unto you. That's the way to go. That's the way to live. God first. His words dictates my life. A surrendered life is a carefree life. It's a worry-free life. It is an antidote to the cares of this world. The saddest word in the the saddest word in the whole wide world is the word almost. That's the saddest word, almost. He was almost in love. She was almost good for him. He almost stopped her. She almost waited. He almost lived. They almost made it. Sometimes we fear. Will I just almost make it or will I make it? Anxious, it gives anxiety. As a child of God, our hope is eternal. We don't have to fear, fear of losing. We don't have to live in fear. We are not of this world. We are not alone. We are not on our own. We have a God who takes care of us. Our hope is secure. A surrendered life is a worry-free life. We surrender completely, including our fears and anxieties, into him, trusting that he will take care of us. In his infinite wisdom and unending love, he orchestrates everything in this world. His counsel will stand. Everything good, bad, and ugly, everything comes from the hand of God. He knows that there are no surprises with him. He will work everything for good. Let's run without the burden and baggage of worry. Lastly, verse 8. Press on with a single mind. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James the preacher is not messing around. He is direct. He is forceful. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. Double-minded. Double-mindedness is the curse of our modern age. The children of God, now those who have experienced his power, his love going astray in our hearts, being unfaithful, we try to adjust our life to fit the patterns of this world. We allow ourselves to be ruled by the passions, by our emotions and feelings. James says this is a contradiction. You cannot live like this. You cannot continue to live like this. You need not live like this. There is victory. There is power. There is a better way to live. Draw near to your Savior. Cry out. Enough of your wanderings, enough of your rebellion, enough of flirting with sinful ways, enough of flirting with the patterns of this world. Cleanse your hands, stop committing evil. Purify your heart's affections, Purif pursue godliness and holiness. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Mourn for the lingering sins in your life. Moments of failures, weep over your weakness. Like a dog returns to its vomit, we return to our folly. Let's not justify it. Let's not try to find excuses. Just got to repent. Cry out for the mercy and grace of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, if you do not desire to be holy, then you have no right to think that you are a Christian. If you do not desire to be holy, then you have no right to think that you are a Christian. Forceful words. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. As we walk, as we mature in the Christian life, we are called to be holy, going after the prize, forgetting what lies behind us, the old nature, the sinful nature, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. It's not easy. It's a struggle. I press on toward the goal. In verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It is possible to walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Friendship with the world is enemy of God. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's concern here is the purity of the church, not the size of the church, not the growth of the church. It comes later, but then the most important thing is the purity of the church. Let's press on. We don't belong to this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to a different world. We should not be comfortable in this world. We should live as misfits. There is a struggle going on. Let's fight this fight. God is their belly. Sorry. Yeah, their God is their belly. Everything focuses on their fleshly pursuits. Care more about what I eat, what I dress. How can I be more comfortable? Live with more style. All belonging to my passions and desires. It's fleshly pursuits. Mind is set on earthly things. There is no perspective of eternity. There is no eternal value of human endeavors. The world doesn't live for eternity. But we live for eternity. We believe God is going to come one day and take us with him. We're going to spend eternity with him. We've got to lay up treasures in heaven. I don't want to blend in. We are fools for Christ. We are a peculiar people. We know these phrases. My eyes are set on heavenly beauties. I'm, I'm called to strive and store up wealth in heaven. But how often do we get caught up in the lies and falsities of life, the patterns of this world, and we just get sucked in. Press on, striving, straining, fighting, moving forward, looking to the end zone, looking to the price that is kept for us. Brothers and sisters, can I ask you a question? A question that I asked myself this week. What would your life look like if you really lived as an enemy of the world? What would your life look like if you really lived as an enemy of this world? Where you saw yourself as a misfit, where you resist to blend in. Discipline yourself for the sake of Christ. If you want to be used by God, just like Paul says, if you want to be used by God, if you want to fulfill the call in your life, the call that God has given us, or given you specifically, then we need to discipline ourselves. Just like an athlete, Look at the way they train. Look at the way they discipline themselves, their bodies, what they eat, how they train, how much they train, their sleep habits, their eating habits. Everything is planned, and they try to follow a strict regimen. 
That's what helps them make, become successful. Even the talented ones, even the most skillful ones, they have to train. Why is it different for us? Just got to have a disciplined life so that we can be useful in his, in his hands. Either we discipline ourselves, either we live a life of discipline, or we live a life of self-indulgence. That is your choice. A life of discipline or a life of self-indulgence. Giving in to my passions and desires. Those are my options. Discipline yourself by the power of the Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. It is not just like we wake up one day and then decide to be holy. No, you can't do that. We need help. We need God's strength, His favor, His power to be manifested in our lives. The Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give thrills, but to create in us Christ-like character, J.I. Packer. That's what he's there. To make us more like Christ, conform to Christ. He needs to open our eyes to see the beauties of Christ and the gospel. He needs to give us an unwavering heart that will obey the heavenly calling and surrender ourselves completely to his holy will. He has to give us the strength to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and run the race that is kept for us. God, examine ourselves. Repent for our double-mindedness. Repent of our adulterous heart. Ask God for forgiveness. Make war with your passions. Live as an enemy of the world. Live a life of total surrender. And let's press on with a single mind. My prayer is that we can join Paul in saying, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to lies what ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, forgive us, dear Lord, for our double-mindedness, dear Lord, for the times that we went astray in our hearts. Lord, bring us back to you, Father. We ask that, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the riches that is there in your presence, to see the endless delights in your presence, O oh Father. Lord, to give us, give us the eyes of faith, Lord, to see the prize and hope that we have in you, O oh Father, that is waiting for us, and not to be caught up with the lies of this world, O oh Father. Let's not our life, Lord, conform to this world, Lord, but make us more and more like Jesus, like you, O oh Father. Help us to walk like you, with you, O oh Father, empowered by your spirit, O oh Father. If there is anybody here who is struggling, dear Lord, with their sinful habits, Lord, I pray for your deliverance, dear Lord. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord, minister to them in their time of need. Help them to be overcomers, dear Lord, and rise above this world and the lies of this world, O oh Father. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, dear Lord, and press on that we'll be a blessing, O oh Father, to others, dear Lord. Be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.